Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. That's what we want. And uh, you know what? Wait, I've never done this before. And a shout out, shout out to Evan for being so cooperative and helpful. And what? And what? And what did he help with? Yeah, you know what the. The guy I called you about. Oh, right, right, right. Right. So we'll I mean, always help if we can. Yes, Evan was wonderful about our buddy the other day. Listen, all rehabs, and Aloe in particular, help have a lot of scholarships, right? And I'm a businessman and a compassionate addict. You can't have too many scholarships or you go out of business. True. You can't... You can't not have scholarships because you can't live with yourself. What is the balance in a rehab center of scholarships? Well, I've got it now. We at Aloe are going to have one whole house that's scholarships. Because the other thing that's confusing is you don't know who the scholarships are, who the private pays are, and who the insurance people are. We want to think like we treat everyone the same. No, the scholarship people should not be treated the same. (laughs) 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 You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They should get the same clinical treatment, but they should not be treated the same because they are there as a gift, right? They should okay. be grateful, right? But if you're just in a rehab center, your your gratitude of being this all being, you know, scholarship given to you as a gift gets lost, I think. And and so so that's my new thing is we're going to make the Beachwood House, which is Aloe Hollywood, we're going to make the Beachwood House the scholarship house. That's a cool place. Right? Yeah. Oh, you've been... Your son was there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been there a bunch would, of times. How would you like to be scholarship to live in that house? Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I Move tomorrow. So anyways, yeah, Evan's the greatest, and Jared, and, and all the people that work out there, Chris Paulson, um, Bob, the intake guy, is my new favorite guy. I talk to him every day. Well, I just know that if you're working in in this business at all, if you've worked in this business, you know that there's no such thing as like a mellow day. Every day is busy. Every day is hectic. Every time the phone rings, it's kind of like, shit, what now? You know? What's happening? So, so when, when I call somebody and they're level-headed and they're kind and they're uh, almost like grateful that I'm sending someone their direction, it's a... It's, it was nice to meet somebody because I, that was one of the things I talked about with the guy is that, is that sometimes I'm embarrassed to say I work in this because he asked me, what are you, a headhunter? <laughs> you know, and I go, I go, no, you know, I'm not going to make any money on this no matter where you go. So rest, rest self-assured. But unfortunately, there's a lot of real shady and questionable characters in what we do. And I, that's what I told him. I go, probably 80% of the places, man, that I, that I can think of are sketchy at best. Uh, yeah. And that, that's something we talk about. There's a lot of treatment professionals out there. They know what we're talking about. What's interesting to me, so, you, you know, I'm pretty honest about who I am and what I think and, and what I care about. And um, you can't fake this. Like, I see all the other treatment center owners. They're just faking it. And you can see it in a second. They're just faking it. Yeah. You know, like, I just, you can trust who I kind of represent and who I work with, right? Mm-hmm. There's some great people like Warren that you work with and Tim Chapman and stuff. And then there's some really outliers down there. <laughs> yes, there's, there are. There's way more there's way more Tim Chapmans of the world in LA than there are in Orange County. 
right? LA has Cry Help, Impact. They're straight shooters, no bullshit. They've been doing God's work for 40 fucking years, right? So there's two programs that have 100 beds each. There's there's two great programs you can trust. If you Mm want to go to fancy places, there's Aloe. There's... um, you know, there's a couple others that I would recommend. I used to recommend Promises, but now it just sold again. Hmm. Isn't that weird? Biggest, the most biggest brand name of rehab in the history of rehab now isn't, you know what I mean? It's just weird. It's weird it's, that but, rehab is a business. It's weird that it, you wouldn't think it's something that you build the brand and then sell because it's <laughs> famous. You'd think that you'd just be a part of it and you know, or maybe just step in the step into the shadows and let some other people run it. But to build to sell is, I've worked for a place like that and it bit them in the ass. So this all turns into this trip I took in San Francisco, right? So, so there's going to be a multi multi billion dollar settlement from Purdue Pharma, right? to help addicts that they are not admitting that they caused, but somehow they're going to give $15 Hmm. billion to helping addicts. But they had nothing to do with creating them. That's mighty nice of them. That's part of the settlement. Mighty nice of them. They're just good people, apparently. (laughs) They just just saw a problem and they wanted to throw a few billion dollars at it. That is so cool. So then in the middle of this is all these courts in ohio and kentucky and new york and here in california and and all these different lawsuits and they really realize like okay um looks like we're not gonna have to fight this out for 10 or 20 years like the tobacco industry it looks like the the defendants are realizing (laughs) that there's a better way (laughs) better way than spending four hundred thousand dollars a month defending something you know you're gonna lose in the end right so and judges are helping judges in Ohio, and you know it's a lot, a lot going on. And you can read about it in the New York Times and Washington Post. But pretty much, what's going, what happened to the tobacco industry is going to happen in big pharma. So, what do you think? All the people, the judges and the lawyers and everybody had to figure out: How do we help these people? What are you, yeah, you going to do with the money? How do you help? Right, so simultaneous to me being in San Francisco trying to talk about some solutions that I thought could happen, Drew was at the White House on the same day, two Thursdays ago, I think it was, hmm. right? And and Drew told me, you know, that the federal government looks like they're going suboxone pretty deep in, and I was like, okay, well, that will kick the can down the road for five years. Mm-hmm. That's not going to make 12 million heroin addicts disappear, I can tell you that. Can we create 12 million Suboxone addicts? <laughs> well, it's better than heroin addicts and dying okay. and fentanyl and all that. I'll admit right. that. And plus, they're mostly Medicaid and, and uninsured people. So, um, they're people that wouldn't be able to get treatment Treatment anyhow, anyways, so right? That's good. Yeah. So, so then what's interesting is I started, look, I started looking at the problem because the, these different people started presenting me with the problem of how to deliver services, what, what, you know, how you would do it for over a five-year period of time. And I just started thinking that, God, there's no way to do this. You're talking about, they, here's how they break it down. There are 20 million opiate addicts in America, right? Just, just opiate? Opiate. 12 million, they believe are this category of prescription drug opioids. So they're the ones that got it from a doctor and all that, 
So okay. there's 7 million true heroin addicts in America. Okay, and then the rest are sponsored by Sacklers. Yeah, sponsored by <laughs> Sacklers, <laughs> right? So, so I started thinking, like, I, I really, honestly, when my heart of hearts only know how to help those 7 million, I don't really know how to help the, the prescription drug addicts that, that, you know, come when you look at where they come from, like they're coming from West Virginia and Tennessee and multi-generational poverty and Medicaid and, you know what I mean? I, I, I don't know that Suboxone isn't a good idea for that population. <laughs> no, no. But because, I, because the cheapest treatment center, I, me and Avin have been running numbers for two weeks. The cheapest you can get it down to is like $1,000 a month. Right? So you're talking about, you know, 12 million addicts going to treatment that costs $1,000 a month and they need it for 10 months and it's not going to work till three or four times of it. Do you understand? Yeah, that's 12,000 million <laughs> dollars. That's a lot of dollars. That's a lot of dollars. <laughs> right? At least, you know, Suboxone is like 500 a month. Right. You know, okay. If that, I mean, you'd think that there'd be some sort of subsidy. On Suboxone soon, they're going to be if they're going to be um, subsidized by the government for that, but then these, it'll be affordable. These are the real conversations going on. Should these twenty million people or twelve million people be on Suboxone? Should they be in abstinence-based treatment? Should they be in medication-assisted treatment? Which is an interesting thing. So, so when everybody who's really smart knows you're trying to get the most effect. For, for the most amount of people for the least amount of money. That's how government right. works. Most bang right? for the buck. Right. right. Why wouldn't people need treatment if they were on Suboxone? That's what medicated-assisted treatment is. Probably for the same reason. I hate to cut you off because you're, you're good there, but the, the way the insurance company doesn't call it, they call it craving control. Why aren't they taking craving control medication? Well, because they've been clean for... 60 days why are we going to put them back on a synthetic opiate but it's craving control and i'm sure that's the way it's been that's sold. what they're telling you the that's what insurance company how long how has that been going on the craving control uh, terminology just it's fairly new it seems like craving it's kind of, control medication you know what's good craving control medication heroin, heroin, heroin. <laughs> i know but that's like why won't he take craving control and i'm like what is this so we're I trying to, to keep him from taking craving control <laughs> medicine right? that's our job and, and i understand that yes there are times when that that's the best option and you know we both really I at least I've really lowered my standards as far as what I think is okay for harm reduction because watching people die has gotten really old. It's ridiculous. And man. for the, the fact that since we've been doing this like over a year or whatever, it's only gotten worse. And we're really, I really thought it would have been tapering off and we wouldn't have anything to talk about. That was my hope. I was hoping that there'd be something new or something else happened or the dramatic change that we could talk about. But instead, it's the same. It's thing. worse. 2017 looks like a 30% increase in overdose. Good stuff. God. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, so that's one of the problems they're trying to fix. These people, all, uh, how do these people survive and not die? Mm -hmm. Right? And there are so many of them, and there is resources, but they're not unlimited resources, right? And so I've been, and I almost wanted to give up. And then Evan, the guy that we we're talking about, won't let me, and he just keeps pushing ideas at me. And we were having a rather 
you know, heavy, direct conversation the other day. And I said, what they really need, Evan, is Synanon, like a new Synanon. Synanon was a self-propelling system. It didn't need funding. It didn't need somebody to pay for you to be there. We need a system like Synanon. And I was so surprised, like he knew a little bit about Synanon. But then I've been talking about Synanon to Dr. Drew since last week talking to lots of different people nobody really knows about synanon anymore so i thought you know we need to get educate people about synanon synanon was the first successful drug treatment program in america that wasn't in a penitentiary right (laughs) because the original drug programs were in lexington kentucky in a in a penitentiary right so you were arrested because you're a drug addict you'd been arrested five times you were sent to this prison in lexington kentucky that was the drug addict prison. And they had, you know, they did lots of different therapies there. It's the first place they ever used methadone in the United States, replacement therapy. They had all kinds of crazy ideas they practiced on the addicts, right? So you got a big population. It's a good, good one to work with. Why not? <laughs> and they're willing to take any drug. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I hope I don't right. get a placebo. So, yeah, <laughs> God damn it. I might go into convulsions, but I don't want the placebo. Right. right? So Synanon started in the 1950s. It was run by this guy, crazy guy named Chuck. He, That's a bad name. He, he, you got to watch videos of him. He was P.T. Barnum meets Bill Wilson. It was unbelievable how charismatic and crazy, you know, he's like a little bit of Clancy, a little bit of Schumacher, and a little bit of like O.J. Simpson. You know what I mean? <laughs> that guy. He, he was just, in the first video I, you can watch of him, he says, you know, I'm a complete egomaniac. <laughs> like, okay. Like, okay. So he came up with this system of addicts living communally and creating businesses and holding each other brutally accountable, all based on the AA tenants that he adopted, acting like he invented them. Okay. So he, he rewrote the St. Francis prayer. It was the Synanon prayer, right? <laughs> no, he was a real, he was something else. They don't make people like this anymore. <laughs> Right. Well, it's too bad he's not a musician. He could have said he was influenced by. They the made Francis albums. Prayer. They no made way. albums. <laughs> they had gas stations. Right. Synanon gas stations. It was this huge phenomenon. It started in the late 1950s. By 1965, it was the most revolutionary thing in treating drug addicts. Universities started to study it. The government started to grant resources to it lyndon johnson and richard nixon praised it as the solution to the drug problem in america a thing called synanon that no one's fucking ever heard of you know why because it didn't cost any money right you don't need a lobby for it huh and in the end chuck tried to kill some of the other members and was arrested for attempted murder oh that's bad that's bad yeah bad for business too (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> killing is always bad that's just yeah, they didn't kill anybody they tried to kill it and they tried to kill somebody in the in the only a drug addict could come up with they put a cobra snake in the guy's mailbox hoping that it would bite him as he got his mail that's good deal right smart and so i've been researching it and and it's just fascinating what what uh what they accomplished in like why, 15 why do, years why does it come back 
that it's a cult? Because he became kind of a cult leader. Okay, because that, that's the one thing I've, I've heard. Like I Ultimate that- power corrupts. He had okay. ultimate power, right? Okay. And, and unquestionable authority over people's lives. And it, initially, Synanon was a few thousand people. It grew to be tens of thousands of people. They owned the entire Venice boardwalk. Right. right. So, so if they had checks and balances in place, if it wasn't a supreme leader, you think something like a model like that could work? I just think the idea of addicts living communally and living responsible to each other—that's really what Synanon was. That that it was led by this cult leader, uh, this guy, this larger-than-life kind of crazy character. It didn't need to. It didn't have to have him. Hmm. Just as AA doesn't have Bill Wilson anymore, seems to be working fine. Right? Right, right, right. So, so it's really about addicts joining together. Now, what's interesting is the thought nowadays about addicts is they can't be together. They're bad. They'll trigger each other. They'll make each other take drugs. Right. Right, right. right. So maybe it's a different era where people just like a good excuse to blame their drug use on. But somehow, you know, I'm, I'm going to learn more about Synanon. I'm going to talk to some of its former members and some of its former counselors and stuff. But they, there's videotape of the, of the therapies. The therapies were, Cry Help pretty much does it. Because I, I believe Jack, who runs Cry Help, was a part of Synanon, right? Okay. And it's, it's just very confrontational. Like, it's not mean-spirited or vicious. It's just very brutally honest, Right. And that's what, when you think about our stories, somebody, people got honest with me, right? They didn't put up with any bullshit. They weren't trying to be clinical about it. They weren't trying to not hurt my feelings. Mm -hmm. They weren't trying to get paid by an insurance company. They just told me what they were seeing and experiencing being my friend. Right. <laughs> they didn't use clinical terminology on me too. You know, that's, <laughs> so why do we think clinical terminology will help our clients? And they didn't ask me if I was abused when I was a child. They weren't concerned with trauma. They want to know why didn't I make my fucking bed? Yeah. Make your fucking bed or you can leave. Simple stuff. You know what? And things about gratitude. Yeah. You know right? what? It's nice to have a place to be. That's a hard thing though. We're I, like you've already talked about, we've got people that are pre-contemplative and contemplative, and they're not even sure that that's where they want to be, so they will leave. Right. And, and then what? Then well, they, Then they come back, and then you tell that, them to leave, then they well, come back. Well, it's interesting that Jeff Sessions is a part of all of this uh, big be, planning. Because he's an expert? Because he's the Department of Justice, and I mm. believe that the Department of Justice does hold, you know, okay, it's interesting, here's two things that came out of Drew's meeting in Washington. One was, I saw Donald Trump say, we're going we're gonna to treat this as a medical problem. These people are sick, right? And I, you know, I think I'm pretty obvious I'm not a big fan, right? No. Um, and I remembered the last drug epidemic in America, and it was a Republican president and a Republican-held house. And I remember what they did. They put every they changed the laws about cocaine to put people in jail for life, right? The well, crack epidemic, well, it stopped the, the Rockefeller crack Act, right? Right, right. It did stop the it stopped the crack <laughs> epidemic. Did it? Well, it had some impact on it, but but if you're looking at things from a cultural political standpoint, interesting that the people that were 
ravaged by the crack epidemic were inner city Democrats, right? Predominantly Democrats. And <clears throat> this population that's being affected by this epidemic is primarily Republicans. I'm just saying. Hmm. It's interesting that now we've found compassion towards addicts. I don't care how we find compassion towards addicts. They need your compassion. They don't need you to feel sorry for them. Compassion is different than feeling sorry for. They also need to be held accountable. Right. 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 No, that's and I don't, huge. what you're saying is if you're offered this program and you refuse it, then you should suffer the consequences of not accepting this help. And so when you violate the law, you should be held accountable to the law. Right? Right. So well, I've heard your words from, I think it was your words where I originally heard them, where people are saying, you know, the problem is we don't have any, there's no punishment. When there's no punishment, we can't offer treatment as an alternative to the punishment. Right. Which, and, and that's, it's weird to hear it from other people, to hear it from another therapist, a guy I work with, who I said, you know, there's a common thread here. And that is the common thread is if there's no, because jail's no fun. We know this. We've been through this subject before. So jail's no fun. If you go to jail for 30 days, and it's like my friend Gish goes, man, everybody should have to go to jail and everybody should be forced to take LSD at least once. Then, <laughs> then they can be my friend. Until then, I don't understand them. And, <clears throat> and that's kind of like this thing. With, but there's no consequence. Yeah, there has to be consequence and, and to motivate. So... So just having complete compassion and endless unconditional love as a, as a government, as, a, as the Justice Department, right. it, it's not going to solve the problem, right? right? So am I optimistic? So I'm trying to figure out how to recreate Synanon without a leader, right? And I, you know, I think I've got some ideas of how to do it. One is how much do houses cost in all these places? right? Mm -hmm. Meaning in the Rust Belt, where all the opioid epidemic is. Okay, let's put some mom and pop sober living groups together, let people live together and hold them accountable to go work, have job, you know, job uh, sites where people have employment as long as they remain sober and they, they have housing and they have food and they just what Synanon provided, but in a more 21st century way. Jobs are really important. I, I don't care what anybody says that works in the addiction field. Unless somebody finds a purpose and, and, and is on a path to self-sustainability, they will use drugs again. Mm. That's a fucking fact. Uh, even, even I've seen that even people that come from money. Their $500 paycheck means more than the 10000 they got from mom and dad. There's just something about making your own money. There, it, you know, and it, it's not because it's money. I think it's having, you know, I... I did this. Yeah. And, and we need a bunch of I did this is. We need I did this. And, and you know, what's sad in certain parts of the United States is there's no jobs and there's no opportunity. So me and Evan came up with this pod idea, whereas we would have a nonprofit, uh, you know, free treatment for up to 100 people. And then simultaneously that we'd have a in-network treatment center for the 100 people in that community that were insured doesn't have to be great insured just something you get a hundred dollars a day right hmm. and and then a industry that we're hoping is a pizza parlor we're talking to this pizza parlor chain that would be work in coalition where the people from the programs would work 
at the pizza parlor, have meetings at the pizza parlor. Pizza parlor. It's modeled after uh, after Tropical Cafe in Silver Lake. You ever been there to meetings? No. It's where me and Mike got sober. So imagine if there was a tropical in every hamlet in Ohio. Well, that would be nice, right? Yeah. Except for you know, coffee and pastries are really hard to do, but pizza's easy. <laughs> right. It is. Pizza's fucking easy, dude. You know what I mean? So a pizza parlor that's associated with the nonprofit and the not-for-profit in the extended care program. So you got this one pod. It's got 200 beds, inpatient and outpatient, with a pizza parlor as a hub that employs like 40 people, right? So you feed through the system, you go into employment, and then we do another pod 50 miles away or 100 miles away. All of a sudden, you have these communities within a little hamlet in Ohio or Pennsylvania, and then... Right down the road, 50, 60, 70 miles in the next, you know, medium-sized 50,000 population town, you have the same thing. Now you have community, people that speak the same language within a radius, right? right? right and you right. just start building these pods all across the Rust Belt. And they'd be self-sustaining and they'd cover their cost and the whole thing. So that's could, how you pay for the, the right. free beds is the work. Yes. And how... How did you start calling them pods? Did you it's come just, up with a name? Yeah, it's just an idea, I thought. like, Because you can't just have a rehab center all separate unto itself. It has to have integration into the community. It has to have jobs. It has to have... Uh, once a person leaves the program, they still have to feel connected to it, right? Mm -hmm. That's the thing that was great about Impact and Cry Help. I'm a Cry Help guy. You know, a bunch of my friends went through Impact. They're Impact guys. You could always go to Cry Help. I can go to Cry Help right now. I can drive in my car and walk in the lobby and say, hey, you know, I'm Bob and I'm alumni. And I could go hang out in the smoking area and talk to addicts and feel a part of the place where I got sober. Hmm. That doesn't exist at other treatment centers anymore, right? For one yeah. thing, the people are coming from Ohio and Pennsylvania and, you know, Texas and New Jersey and Louisiana out to L.A. for treatment for a month or two. Then they go back there. Oh, no, they want to stay here. I know they <laughs> want to stay here. And now there's nowhere to stay now that they've cleared the river trail. So <laughs> I mean, do you think that's partly because there's so many people going through rehab? That, yeah, it's, I know. mean, it's certainly, but that they're all coming out here, and there's nothing back there to go home to. Yeah, there's no one. There's none of these entrepreneurs want to buy up a bunch of property there. They want to buy beachfront homes. Well, it's the can, enticement of the high end dollars, right. right? So, so nobody's chasing Medicaid dollars. I can tell you no. that, right? right? So, my idea is let's serve both populations. My idea is, yeah, still go to Florida and go to my. Um, malibu for treatment if you got if your mom's in the teachers union but when you go back to you know cleveland ohio there's a pod there go right there as soon as you get home right mm -hmm. that you can start and that's that synanon feel synanon started to be everywhere and people that knew synanon world and synanon language had this camaraderie right because the and what dr drew is saying is he wants aa and na to be that Right now we know that AA and NA in the rest of the country is nothing like the AA and NA in Southern California or in New York City or in South Florida. It's not. It's, it's guys like us that work in treatment that make the vitality of the 12-step world or people that have dedicated their lives to service, which is what we grew up in. Those mm -hmm. guys, there's nobody dedicating their life to service in AA anymore. They all work in treatment. You know, you know that's fucking true. 
No, uh, it's, uh, you try to keep them from working in treatment. <laughs> you know, it's like, good luck. You know what, dude? There's other jobs. Go, go make money. Go be happy. Go you're, start a motorcycle shop. You're going you're gonna to work 18 <clears throat> hours a day and get paid for eight of it. You're going to lose sleep. You're going to be calling in. You're going to be sad when people go out. You're going to be sad when people don't come in. You're not cut out for it. And you're not going to take care of your own sobriety in the process. So it's, But it... It has become what the people that had a passion for service and that 12-step work in AA traditionally in Southern California for years and years, they all work in treatment now. There's nobody doing it in real life. You know, when I was... Uh, they always call me. You know how I know? Because they always call me. And they weren't like, hey, I got this guy. I was thinking of going over to his house. Do you think you could come by? Can we get him in somewhere? I'm like, dude, you know, you're supposed to go over there and just talk to him and like hang out and let him live at your house for a couple of weeks. <laughs> and they're like, oh, no. Oh, no. Really? I said, do you read that fucking book of yours? <laughs> read Working With Others. The person's supposed to live at your house. Guess who's lived at my house? Mike knows... When I got sober and I had this house on Boylston, at least 100 addicts lived in my spare room throughout a five-year period of time. Some used, some, you know, some stole all my guitars, some got sober. That's what we do. But somehow, I felt like, I've done this shit long enough, no one else is doing it. I also think that's, I think that's the way it's designed. Is that you do that when you're when you're on fire and when you're new and then eventually things I mean that you have to give up that post for someone else to be able to do it. It's like when things come up when commitments come up at my beach meeting. It's like you know I've done every job here. You've done no job here. I was proud to be a GSR never again, but I was proud to be a GSR because it was a two year commitment and I thought I was going to make a difference. <laughs> what did I learn? I learned you don't make a difference as GSR, but. You can do this now. You can. There, nobody wants to step. Up. I was on bring fire. You're bringing Chuck. You didn't do it long enough, man. Yeah, I was a GSR. Like I was on fire for it because they were writing the new book in '99 or '98, uh -huh. right? And so all I fought at the LA chapter. Like there's people from Brentwood and all these like Beverly Hills types at this one big meeting, right? And all I did was raise a move. I wanted a motion that two of the wives be removed from the big book. Because <laughs> I thought, I thought, like, what's easy pickings to get rid of that's just pure shit in this book? Right. <laughs> you oh should have seen the look. <laughs> I can only imagine. That's, that's, and you know what? That's a pretty I, se big I, se I second that emotion. I second that emotion just because it's completely useless. It I know it's totally. And written useless. by a man, two women about women, and how you're supposed to. You know what? If he gets drunk and cheats on you, just let it go, sweetie. Because he's an alcoholic. You Get know. back in the kitchen and shut your man. Shut your mouth. So you feel the same way, right? It's, I felt that yeah. like. <laughs> and I thought I thought all my feminist sisters would, you know, support my movement. <laughs> Not one person in the room of like. 300 people second that motion see that's another mistake it's not a sacred text it's it's it, but anyways that, that was my venture in GS, gsr because okay. you can understand in the beginning because some older people told me you know they're rewriting the book and they're accepting stories in the book and part of me is like my story's pretty good can i write mine and so <laughs> but then as it dug in the the thing I thought could get accomplished was like, I know the first 164 pages are God's word to man through Bill Wilson, but some of it is just so ridiculous. Some of it's illegal to do at this point in society, right? What? In 
in the big book of AA, it says, if you've, if you've um, like cheated on a business trip, you should go to your boss and you know straighten oh, you it out. The expense. Count yeah, padded the, the expense right, count. Okay. okay, so let me enact because I was I worked at a hospital. I was the supervisor of everyone. If one of my employees had come to me and said they stole money from the company, there's no way that I could settle that right then. I was I was by law mandated to bring them to HR department and and report them and let it fall where they may and they're going to lose their job. That's the law, right? Okay. So if I said, okay, you know, don't worry about it, and it, now that I'm complicit in a crime, do you understand? Okay. So yeah. now yeah. if it comes out and that employee tells, you know, gets caught or something and tells the powers that be that are investigating the, the theft or corruption... That I told my supervisor, Bob, and he said it was okay. I'm now fired from my job. So what is directed to do, you know, and people say, oh, do you think too much? No, it's in there. It says to do that. <laughs> so if it's not okay to do, then take it out, right? And all I wanted was to do the wives out. Oh, those cute little housewives <laughs> in the kitchen, right? So, so, but getting back to the subject, I really believe a movement of people that are connected to one another in the Rust Belt will help, right? And since, since most or half are going to be put on Suboxone, then we'll have an army there helping with that. Right now, we got nobody. We got a bunch right. of people out here, a bunch of people in Florida, some some people in Minnesota that are fighting fighting the war, that's not where the drug addicts are. That's not this is not where they fucking live. When you look at, at in San Francisco, they had a map of the opiate of, of the overdose death. There's hardly any in LA. It's like a tan area, right? <laughs> Over Ohio, it's like you know, deep dark red. You know, because it's this map that's showing where the death rates are. Mm -hmm. And it's just literally in the Midwest, across the Rust Belt, down through the Appalachians and around through Tennessee. And then it, it just kind of stops. There's so no, the East Coast has slowed down? There's no death in Alaska, very little in Washington and, and Oregon. The, you know, we're the, we're the areas that are not being affected by this crisis, mm -hmm. right? It may seem like it because there's drug addicts everywhere dying everywhere once in a while. Yeah, but not like the stories I hear from the people that come out where they're like, <laughs> they're burying them in their own backyard. It's just like, <laughs> dude, you had... You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> you, had, you, you had seven of your 10 friends die. That's a, yeah. bad, that's a bad week. So that's what's happening. That's like hillbilly stuff. Guess what the biggest increase, and I want to give a shout out to our brothers in Wisconsin, and we need more chapters that don't die. That don't die, Wisconsin, they're nice enough to send us the t-shirts. Oh, man, Love those guys. Yeah. Love those Thank guys. you, you guys, man. And they're picking it up. That, the, Wisconsin had the highest uptick in over overdose deaths in 2017. I mean, at Wisconsin. Well, come on, Wisconsin. So let's do something. So they're they're they, that's why I think they caught on to this because last year all their friends were all their clients were dying, mm. right? And statistically, yeah. we know that now that Wisconsin has this incredible increase in overdose death in 2017, right? Ohio is still the the ground zero. We've started seeing ones from like Michigan too. So 
Michigan, yeah, maybe, but just, I, just starting. Just but we starting. need a, a don't die in Ohio. So I want to give a shout out to anybody in Ohio that's listening to this podcast. You have our encourage, enthusiasm, and permission, and we'll help you in any way we can to start don't die Ohio. Like, and we need don't die Pennsylvania, and we need don't die New Jersey. We need you guys to start up this thing, this movement of just talking about, you know. Addicts are badass people. They can't be dying when they're 20 years old. This is fucked up. This is crazy. You know, and and I believe if I was born in 1986, I'd be dead. It's like this is a this is a horrible plague on our society. Hmm. You know what I mean? If I was if I was 20 years old, don't you think I'd be on oxycontin? Fuck yes, I would have. Oh, yeah. And, and fentanyl. Fentanyl. Fentanyl and Oxycontin. I, I think I'd and be I'd pushing, be dead. I'd, I'd be rushing the fentanyl yeah, I'd for be sure. dead. Yeah. Right? I tell that to the kids all the time. Every time I'm talking to them, I say, you know, if I'd have had the dope that you guys have, I wouldn't be here today. I mean, I think sometimes... I, I was always concerned of not dying, right? I didn't want to die. But I was doing some very dangerous stuff, right? Mm. Um, the example being, you know, when you get it from somebody you don't know. I used to usually get it from the same person or people, like two drug dealers in 10 years i just always went to them but if they weren't around you know i would go to anybody and right i would i would you know shoot i would suck up a little less in the syringe i mean that was my way of doing it but now when there's drugs that even even one little five cc's could kill you i'd be dead right no i mean that's a that's a huge that's a huge part of what uh I'm looking at with them, like they ask questions on the intake, like, are you engaging in high-risk behavior? Have you engaged in high-risk behavior? Has this accelerated recently? They're looking at it for like diagnoses. Yeah. But I think the simple fact, if you're buying drugs from someone you don't know, that is extremely high-risk behavior. And the fact that they don't consider it high-risk behavior. And then if they run it without even, you know, testing a little bit to see what it's like. So, the, so anyways, we want Ohio... Please, somebody there, some counselor that's working in some rehab somewhere, start Don't Die Ohio. And we Arizona, need to, are they dying in Arizona? Not really. Oh. It's so weird how, how, where they are dying, where the concentration of death is. It's unbelievably consistent. In California, is it higher amongst the homeless population? Do we have any stats on that? I mean, that what they're really tracking... So it was an opioid conference I went to. So they're tracking opioid overdose death, right? Mm -hmm. Right. I think a lot of the death that's here in Southern California is polysubstance abuse, right? Absolutely. I hear the, the people talking about the benzos and the opiates together all the time. Well, I think there's meth, too. They're doing meth. They're like well, meth, too, meth fentanyl, benzos, and just... You know, that's what's going on in Southern California, which which I think meth is probably spreading across the U.S., and I'd be interested in anybody can email us what's really going on out there. I just know what the kids report to me here, and I'm shocked. I did this thing a couple of Tuesdays ago. I ran a group and I, I, after I did the conference, and I said, how many of you here have been prescribed Suboxone? Uh, first, I said, how many of you here, this group about 30, I said, how many of you here are primary opioid addicts and there was like 20 21 i counted out of 30 out of 30 okay and i said how many of you have been prescribed suboxone by a doctor all of them raised their hand 
Mm. I, I said, how many of you took your Suboxone as prescribed? Only one girl kept her hand up. <laughs> and she lied. <laughs> nope. Uh, she, I believe she was telling the truth. <laughs> I bet she did. She was like I'm... 18, right? So, so I said, okay, so, so of you that, that didn't, I want to hear some stories. They sold it, mostly for $5 a strip. But this one kid said an interesting thing. If somebody's really dope sick and I know they have money, I've had a bunch of guys buy it from me for $20 a strip. I'd tell them it's my last strip and get 20 bucks, right? So they're selling it for five, anywhere between 5 and $20 an 8-milligram strip, right? Mm. I said, how many have traded up for heroin? They said, oh, yeah, right away if I'd get a prescription um, and I didn't want it. I would just trade it for heroin because you can trade it to drug dealers because drug dealers, you know, the in-home traditional drug dealers I got drugs from have Suboxone for sale, heroin for sale, fentanyl for sale, and methadone for sale, hmm. right? So you can go to a drug dealer's house and you can say, mm, I'll take $20 worth of fentanyl and uh, $40 worth of heroin and... Uh, <laughs> That's some methadone in case I run out. I need some, something long asking. So, so all these kids know you can take that Suboxone right from Walgreens. The, the Medicaid money that Doc, you know, De Jeff Sessions and Dr. Drew and, and Donald Trump have been talking about, right? Go, you get Medicaid to pay for it, right? It's going to solve the opioid crisis. Not in these people, it's not. Because they're going to take that $1,200 where the cash value drugs that you're giving them through the federal government and it's you know you get say you're on 16 milligrams for you know 30 times that's 60 strips right wow. you're gonna get 60 strips of suboxone and give it to heroin addicts in ohio who have no money what do you think is gonna happen to that do you know what the drug companies call it well portions of this we expect to be diverted they call it diverted. Oh, diverted. They call it diverted. Like, it's a different, like it. it's a nice term, like diverted. diverted. Oh, it's I wonder very what, nice. I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, I wonder what, what is diverted? Like, I, I, I diverted felt like... some of your funds, Bob, from your wallet. I diverted them to my wallet. <laughs> Did you? Yes, it's very okay. nice. That was a rearrangement of, that was it, right? So, so I'm telling you, all the Suboxone is going to be diverted. From what I've seen of the hundreds of kids they're not going to take, none of them have ever taken it as prescribed. No. Though all of them have been prescribed it. These fucking government people think that, that if you just give the people Suboxone, they're going to take it as prescribed. You know who's going to buy it? Are the people that want to lose weight. <laughs> Is it an appetite suppressant? Yes. I sent you a picture. Yeah, of it, I know. That's, I that's for real. That's Suboxone they're selling. But anyway, I, I, I'm so glad you went there with that because the idea that we can just give them this and it's going to be okay it's not what they're going to want to do just by nature of being a youngster if you're going to give me this and it's okay i don't even want listen this. a 20 year old heroin addict in pennsylvania has no money they live at their parents house who who often have no money and a multi-generational uh, poverty right in rural parts of west virginia you're gonna pump just like you pumped millions of doses of OxyContin in there and had insurance or Medicaid, Medicare pay for it, you're now going to dump millions of, of, of prescriptions of, of, mm -hmm. of Suboxone and expect it to solve the problem that the millions of doses of OxyContin started. It makes no sense to anybody who knows anything about drug addiction. 
right? It yeah, doesn't. No. It's going to get diverted. <laughs> Gosh, dang it. I, you know, I don't even know enough about this to even be able to do anything other than agree with you on that because that that makes sense i hadn't gone that far with it i thought the idea that if we at least get the needles out of their arms and keep them from shooting fentanyl but you know what i just had a client come back who he he left treatment he went and he bought a Zan, he bought some xanax woke up in the emergency room he got a little peeped he got a little peeped. He, he got a little peeped he got a little fentanyl, fentanyl and, uh, and, and then, and then the, they're, they're doing the fake pressings, yeah, of, the pressings of the pills so and then what's he do he gets out and he's got nowhere to go he goes into this recovery home down the street from us and one of the guys there goes hey i can get you two thousand dollars if you do some heroin because we'll go to this place over here oh my god and so he starts doing heroin and now he's not a big fan of the heroin all by itself he likes heroin with the xanax so that's what he was doing was the the fake xanax with the heroin and he comes in and he's popping hot on almost everything. There's everything in that shit. It's really scary. And yeah, it's everywhere. You know, I just think that the, that the drug company, the producer's going to get what it deserved. And now I'm kind of sad for them because they're going to be destroyed by this. They're going to be bankrupt. Nan Golden, great artist, just did a protest over the weekend at the yeah. Sackler Wing of the Museum Metropolitan. Of, of Contemporary Art in New York City where they threw pills all over the place. She's she she they was They replaced a, the labels the prescribed to the Sacklers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the on the pill bottles. So they got to yeah. come in everybody, you know, everybody's I, I don't want them to be the devil that we put out of business and destroy and think this problem's going to go away or this problem was only caused by them. And I never thought I would defend Purdue. But the fact is, doctors fucking did this mm -hmm. for profit. The fucking American public is brainwashed into believing there's a pill for every problem. Everybody's a baby and can't tolerate any discomfort or everyday misery. And that problem hasn't gone away. You can bankrupt Purdue and get them to give $10 billion to help drug addicts that all goes for naught. But the fact is, the problem existed before Purdue released OxyContin, mm -hmm. and it, re and it yeah. certainly exists now after OxyContin is going to be off the to market. Think, to think someone else won't pick that ball up and run with it is just insane. Well, they arrested the fentanyl guy and the Sipsis guy on Friday. Did you hear about that? No. What is the drug, Mike, that, that you spray the fentanyl? Yeah, it's subsist. Now you People can go are ahead. just always going to want to make money off of drugs. They're all going to be like like this guy. The, the guy that you're talking about is John Kapoor. Yeah, yeah, that's 70, the guy. Well, he's 74 years old. He's in Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> he got arrested in Phoenix. Yeah, he got he For he killing charged, people in, in well, Vermont. Arrested, <laughs> uh, and charged Good. with racketeering. And he only invented it. To be diverted. <laughs> <laughs> and they went and arrested him. The Good. feds they arrested him. They diverted him to jail? So he was diverted <laughs> to the county jail and I'm sure released yes. on a million dollars bail or something like a Peter Case song. On a million dollars bail. So, but, but they got him in his crosshairs in the fed, federal, this is Jeff Sessions, this is the Department of Justice has sworn out that they're going to go after these big drug kingpin pharmaceutical companies and they did it on friday i mean you're talking about the most arrogant cocksucker in the world this arizona dude well there's a whole article here on how to follow the necessary steps on, 
on, on turning your fantastic on your shit into a substance. No, but look at him being arrested. The owner of that company, that pharmaceutical it looks like it's company, totally legit or something. <laughs> what the fuck is this? And they're gonna come at him with the full strength of the federal government, right? So he's oh. dust too. But making these devils out of people and not really looking at the profundity of the problem. That's what I think is happening. Because I got turned to, like, come up with a solution. You're the drug guy. And I'm like, you have no idea. First, let's talk about how multi-layered the problem is, right? The problem really is poverty. It's one of the problems, right? It really is. It's obvious. Yeah. No, it's... Hopelessness, hopelessness. Poverty, unemployment, and boredom. And, and hopelessness. And no yeah. hope of ever getting out of that. No, I, right? Yeah, I don't know. It, yeah, it seems like that's just long. So gone. when we had the first epidemic, the crack epidemic in the inner city, that's what you had: multi generational poverty, uh, high unemployment, hopelessness. Right? That's what was ripe for crack cocaine. Mm -hmm. Right? Because it was cheap. Right? right? What What do you What do our patients report about heroin? It's cheap. Oh yeah. yeah. Right. So. The same thing happened again, and we're not going to learn any of the things that we, we learned the first time, which is nothing really changed except for you put half the population that had it in prison for life, right? The problem didn't go away. The poverty didn't go away. The hopelessness didn't go away. So now what has it evolved into, right? Just more drugs, no, different now drugs. They've, now they've got a supermarket of uh, choices you can make. But I, I don't think you can make devils out of things and then the problem's going to go away. The problem is here. The problem existed before these devils. The problem is inequality and, and, and wealth inequality, opportunity inequality, poor educations, poor, you know, that's why Trump was able to walk in and say, I'm the guy that can solve it all. Well, oh, two weeks ago, they came to me saying, you're the guy that's supposed to solve it all. And I was like, I don't have a fucking does that, clue. Does that make you Trump's boy? I'm like his bitch, kind of. I'm Trump's bitch. <laughs> you're like the guy in uh, Idiocracy that's going to solve the drought. So so I do believe that the final, the the like the real solution is to make the 12-step community just energetic and vibrant and interesting and the 12-step community that Mike and I entered in the 1980s in Los Angeles. There was, yeah, nothing, revive, there was nothing like it. It was the most magical thing. I was nowhere near ready to stop taking drugs, but I loved it, right? That's not what our patients are reporting when they go back home no. to Ohio or Tennessee, right? So people like us got to go there and fucking liven that shit up, right? And I, I believe the only way we're going to do it is if we're there. So I'm going there. I'm actually moving to Red Hook, Brooklyn. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm moving to Brooklyn in, the, in probably June when Elvis gets out of school. Just part-time. I'm going to have this house, but I'm going there, and we're opening the first treatment center is 83 miles from Brooklyn in Pennsylvania because I don't really want to live in Pennsylvania. Not that Pennsylvania isn't a great <laughs> place to live, but it's, imagine this. You know, you, you, you guys are like me. Like, if, if I... I don't know how to say it. Like, if, if I have the choice to live 83 miles from New York City in Pennsylvania or New York City and just drive 83 miles to work, I'll drive the 83 miles to work <laughs> to live in New York, dude. It's so badass, right? It just should be fun. 
and it's going to be fun and interesting and I've already mapped out it. At certain times of the day, it only takes an hour and 17 minutes to get from the neighborhood I'm hoping to live in, Red Hook, Brooklyn, because a bunch of my friends live there, and, and Lehigh University in Pennsylvania, right? Okay. 83 miles, hour and 15 minutes, an hour and 50, two and a half hours. That's like what driving to Temecula. I drove to Temecula for every day for a year. Yeah. Almost killed me. <laughs> It's it's not not a full time thing yet, but I, no. The plan is to go out there and go, you know, get it going and get the systems in place. Evan's going too. Hmm. <clears throat> you know, we'll. It's going to be fun, but we're going to practice. We're going to start the one pod. See if it you know, over a six month, eight month period of time, it it catches on, and it works, and it has an impact on the twelve step community around it. Right, I think it will. It should if you're putting if you're putting healthy fish into the system, feeder fish. I mean, you got to got to get people out there that are excited about being clean, that want to be clean, that have chosen that way of life. And it it can be. It was a totally vibrant thing. I was thinking about uh, Cooper today because someone asked me where I went through, and you know we had seventy people there, and at least fifty of them were totally into it on any given day. Right. That's what we need. That's what we need. So if you're working out there in treatment. You know, let's let's uh, let's hook up because I need I need help with this plan. I, I I think that I think we can do it, but it's not going to be done by government. It's not going to be done by funding. It's going to be done by us decide us as addicts as sober people deciding to get our hands dirty and get down in there and and try to make a change in these communities. I really believe that. The, the, the idea that you take people from Ohio and bring them out to Malibu for two months and send them back, it does not work. It, rarely. One in a thousand times it works. <laughs> so why do we have all these television commercials that steer you from all those places to Southern California or to South Florida? It's ridiculous, right? I, I like it. Take it to the people. Take it to the people. Now, you know, and I don't think we're cutting in on, I don't think I'm slitting my own throat. I don't think we are. I think a certain part of the population is always going to want to go to Malibu. That's not going to change. But these people are not on their way to Malibu. They're right. just dying in Ohio, right, with no way out. So somebody's got to go there and do God's work, I think, right? Don't die, people. Don't die. Man, I'm telling you. We're That's coming. There we work, go. Bob. I like it. We're coming. See the atheist will be doing God's work. Well, you know, I'm starting to believe in God. If I could, if I could, <laughs> if I could make an impact on one little town somewhere, I'll start believing. Woo! So, <laughs> well, I know you can, but I know you can. Holy I know you will. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye, bye, guys. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.